Well, we're starting a new series today titled The Good News. Everybody say The Good News. Let's just get it started. Galatians 1, we're going to go there. Galatians 1, 3, we're going to pick it up. It's a decent amount of scripture, so just buckle up as I read it. It's really good. It's really rich. And I'm going to unpack it right after I read it. Does that sound good? Okay, here we go. The good news. The good news. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Who wants some peace today? Come on now. Who wants some grace today? I want both of those. Give me both. I want, I'll, I'll hold out like this. I'll come with bags to get it. Grace uh, sustains us. Grace teaches us. Grace restores us. Grace is something that everybody in this room you should want. And then peace. Oh, man, we want peace. Come on. Grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. And here's where it gets good. Here we go. Paul says to the Galatians, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we, may, uh, that we said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be uh, Christ's servant. The reason why he says that is Paul has been accused of having a soft gospel. Paul, the apostle, the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament, is being accused of having a soft gospel because he keeps on communicating. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And in this, this moment, they're saying, well, no, Jesus plus this and Jesus plus this. He's saying, no, no, just Jesus. And if I'm being honest, I think it's actually harder to receive that Jesus did everything in your life so you don't have to do anything. I feel like we always feel like we have to do something. That's not soft. That's actually hard. He goes on to say, and he finishes with this, dear brothers and sisters, turn to your neighbor and say brother or sister. Don't confuse it. It would be really, really rude. I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Stop. The book of Galatians is this amazing book. It's a, a short book, but uh, Galatians and Romans really do unpack the gospel in its best format. Galatians is almost like, if I could use a sport term, it's the defensive book. It's the Magna Carta of Liberty. The um, gospel is under attack, and the book of Galatians describes what the gospel isn't. Now, the book of Romans is like an offensive attack. It describes what the gospel is. Romans 1, it talks about the gospel's power. Romans 10, it talks about it's a beautiful thing when we bring the gospel. It talks about all throughout the middle of Romans that basically that one man saved us, that what saved you will sustain you. So when you read the Bible and you see good news all over the place, I thought maybe for three weeks we should go back to the good news and really make sure that everybody in the room is on the same page. Because if we pulled the room, if I'm just being real, if I just asked everybody, if we just took maybe just 50, maybe just one section and said, what is the gospel? I think we might actually get 50 different answers, maybe half different answers. And so we're gonna do for the next three weeks is so we would understand the gift of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the value of the gospel, the, the peace of the gospel, that you could be able to answer that question. So what is the gospel? I'm going to give you the most simple answer, and it's the most powerful answer, though. The gospel is Jesus. That's it. The gospel is Jesus. Not Jesus plus works. Not Jesus plus your plan. Not Jesus plus your dreams. Jesus is the gospel. It means good news. Now, if you want victory, guess what the answer is? Jesus. If you want salvation, Jesus. If you want rest, what's the answer? 
Come on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we smarter than 930. Come on. If you want rest, the answer is Jesus. Have you ever met anybody who went on vacation for two weeks? I just did. What? Um, and they came back from vacation and they weren't actually rested, but they were more tired than when they left. Because you don't get rest from vacation. You get rest from Jesus. If you want peace, where do you get it? Come on. Okay, this is getting kind of fun. I'm going to do this the whole service. Um, I don't know about you, but we're trying to find peace everywhere else. People are trying to find peace with an amount of money. If I can get this much money, then I'll have peace. I won't be stressed out anymore. If I can just find some place, get it really quiet, and then I'll find peace. No, you don't find peace in a place. You find peace in a person, and his name is Jesus. This is the gospel. He's always the answer. Got a couple more for you. If you want promotion, Jesus. If you want freedom, Jesus. If you want joy, Jesus. If you want your best life, guess what the answer is? Jesus. This is the good news. The world has many religions, but it has only one gospel. Religion will not give you joy, peace, promotion. No, it will just give you a burden. But the gospel, one gospel, Jesus. There's many lowercase gods, but there's only one Jesus. I love it. I feel like sometimes, if I'm being honest, I picture Jesus kind of as a gangster. You know what I'm saying? Just like the way he like would go about in life. I picture the way he talked to the Pharisees, but also the way he dealt with lowercase gods. I feel like it was almost a challenge. He goes, here's the deal. All you other gods, let's, let's, let's play a game. We're all going to die, and let's see who comes back to life. Bam, defeated. Jesus is like, da 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 I win. Real Jesus, real God. There's something to be said that we have the only God that died on a cross, three days later, conquered this thing called death, and he did it all for us. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And so I want to read you a verse, very powerful verse, John 3, 16. Because it's been said so many times, sometimes it loses its power. May you listen to it like you're hearing it for the first time today. For God so loved, everybody say so loved. So loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I, I don't think it does the gospel justice, not that it's bad to say it, but don't give the gospel justice when you say the gospel, Jesus, Jesus loves you. The gospel is God loves you. No, 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 I wrote this down. It says the gospel, not just God loves us, but God loves us so much that he sent his son for us. Not only did he love you, he did something about it and he paid the highest price for it. This is the gospel message. And so we're going to look at three quick points. What is the gospel to you? Why we need the gospel and how it impacts our life. Very, very simple message to introduce this series. But what is the gospel? What is it? And I think sometimes to share what the gospel is, I think we need to share what it isn't. What it isn't. So I'm going to share some of my Italy pictures with you. Are you okay with that? Yeah? Okay. 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 Pop up my first pick. Let's go. Pop up the, yes. Okay. So this is me in Tuscany, Italy. Okay. Um, just in Tuscany, enjoying the day. All right. Um, maybe I'm wine tasting. Uh, maybe I'm wine tasting. Maybe I'm not. Uh, if you hate wine, I have no way would I wine taste. Uh, if, if you're cool with it and you think wine tasting is okay and biblical, I was wine tasting, whichever one you want to believe. Okay. All good. So this at a winery and we're having a little tour and the lady shows us these vines. And she goes, these are actually the, the grapes that we're, are making the, and I forget the name they call it. I think they call it Chianti is the type of wine they make there. We make cabs here. They make Chianti and some other ones. Super Tuscan is another wine they make there. And I'm looking at this vine, and she says, the very top part, I'm going to actually, can I, let's see what happens with this microphone. All right, it worked. Uh, she said, the very top part right here, they cut it off. They cut all this part off the vine. They just snip it. I was like, why, why do you cut it? Why, why do you cut the top part of the vine off? 
She goes, because the top part of the vine takes nutrients and it does nothing for the plant. Just takes from it. Just takes from it. So we cut half of it off and then all the nutrients go to the fruit of the vine and it makes it flourish and it makes the grapes bigger than they ever could have been. And what the gospel came to do, it didn't only come to add to your life, but it came to chop off the things that are sucking life from you. The things that are taking your joy, taking your purpose, taking your plan. The gospel came, you couldn't cut that vine. You couldn't cut these things off your life. You couldn't cut bondage. You couldn't cut debt. You couldn't cut shame. All those things were just sucking joy, sucking your purpose. It was taking from the nutrients that could make your life everything it was supposed to be. And so if I could use a house illustration with you, I believe there's different houses that people are trying to build by fake gospels. The gospel has been under attack for the last 2,000 years. It's been perverted. It's been sold as a bill of goods, as a prosperity gospel, as a poverty gospel, as a religious gospel. But no, it's just the gospel of Jesus. And so the first one, maybe some of you, I'm going to share this. And if you identify with it, today you're going to cut it. You're going to take the garbage out today. You're going to toss it today because God's giving you the power and authority to get rid of things that you never thought you could get rid of. So the first one, let's just talk about the house of prosperity. If, if this is you, you, you hear the gospel, and so the way that you think about it, Jesus died for me and he loves me. So, so now the way that I'm going to live my life, hearing that gospel message, is I'm going to do good to get good. And really what happens is, is God is a boss and you're an employee. And so the way you picture your house is if I obey all the rules and I do everything right, then eventually God's going to give me the house of my dreams. This person that lives by the prosperity gospel is usually frustrated with Jesus. Because they do something and then they're frustrated because they don't get something. They're like, God, the house that I want from you, you're not giving to me because look what I did. What really you're doing is you're making a transactional controlling thing. This is not the gospel. So you spend all your energy trying to get from God instead of enjoying God. The prosperity gospel sells a bill of goods. And I, I repent for the church as a whole of selling this, that if you do a bunch of things and you get things. Now, it's not what you do. It's Jesus or did on the cross conquer grave and now you get everything stop trying to use all your energy to do good to get good you don't do good to get good you get god to get good second house is the poverty house the poverty house is the one where you think that the less that you have the more holy you are the more thing you're always focused on getting rid of things you're maybe the person who's worried what if i wear these shoes to church today what will people think because what I wear shows how holy I am. And don't get me wrong, there is wisdom on not just flaunting everything. We don't want to cause people to stumble. There's a side to that coin. But if you are being held back by this energy of worrying about if I show this much, if I show how much I have, or I should show less so people know how great I am, this is the house of poverty. You, you think the, 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 the less I get, the more Jesus I get. The less I have, the more God I get. No, no, the more Jesus you have, the more God you have. It's not the less to get God, you get Jesus to get God. And so what happens is you want to get rid of all the things of the world and live in a little box and show God how holy you are and be like, okay, the good news, I love it. But really the less you have is actually getting the more eyes on you. It's not bringing glory to God, it's bringing glory to you. It's bringing glory to the things that you said no to and showing everybody, look at me, I, I, I say no to everything, I have barely anything, aren't I amazing? No, you're not amazing. You didn't conquer the grave, you didn't die on a cross for me. You just live in a box. Congratulations. I don't want that. That's the poverty gospel. I never struggled with that one, by the way. Never. Never. Then you have the religious house. The religious house. The religious house would, would be this. It would be, imagine buying a house 
and you really didn't process the homeowners, you didn't process the HOAs, you didn't process all the taxes and fees, you just saw the number, you're like, oh, we could afford the house. And so then you sign the papers for the house, but then after you sign the papers for the house, you get this list of chores. If you wanna keep this house, if you wanna stay in this house, you gotta mow the lawn on Monday, then you gotta, then you gotta wash the dishes on Tuesday, then you gotta make sure the bathrooms are clean on Wednesday, and you get all these lists of chores. So you get in the house, but the house isn't even enjoyable, it's a burden, and you're stressed out, and then when the bill comes to pay the house, your house poor, it was way more than you thought, and you can't actually uh, write the check to pay the bills. I've heard people uh, share this with me before. Why would I come to church? I already feel bad about myself. Why would I come to the religious house to make me feel more burdens, of more things to do? The Bible shows that we don't unleash the list of rules to people. We unleash the gospel to people. There's power in it. It's the power of God's love and the power of his spirit to transform people. So the religious house becomes this burden. And all you worry about is, what am I supposed to do for God this week? And if I don't do this, is he done with me? Jesus saves you and he sustains you. Now, Jesus saves you and their religiosity sustains you to keep it. That's not how this works. That's a religious house. Throw all those three out. So what is the gospel? It's the fourth one. You're the house. You're the house. The scripture says that he came to live in you, that he came to bring love, peace, joy, restoration, a brand new life into your life. Let me read you two verses to show you this. This should encourage you that, that God isn't having you strive to get somewhere, but he's actually working on you to surrender for him to get into your life and make it everything you're supposed to be. Two verses I want to read to you. I'm kind of winded. I haven't preached in two weeks. <laughs> okay, here we go. First Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Turn and say, God lives in you. It's a weird thing to say, right? Let's keep going. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Stop. One of the greatest things that you can understand today is that when you look at other people's lives, another house I could have shared, and I didn't because I want to save time, but just the house of culture. Culture tells you to live a certain way. Culture says you get all these things and you'll be satisfied. If you build this type of life, you'll be satisfied. You build this kind of career. You build this kind of home. You build this kind of kid. You build this kind of spouse. But the problem is if you try to build outside in, you'll never be satisfied. The gospel is Jesus wants to come into your life and make you have a life that you never could have had without him. I want to have a church. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a friend. I want to be a servant that if you know me, that if you're around me, that your life is more than it ever could have been. Because what's coming from me is inside out, not outside in. And I want to teach people that if you really want the marriage that you've desired or the career that you desired or the peace that you desired, you will never find it on the outside. The gospel message is he wants to come into you and make you the house of your dreams. Can I get an amen? So that's what the gospel is. Next one is, why do we need the gospel? Why do we need the gospel? Turn your Bibles to Romans 10, verse 14. I mean, uh, chapter 10, 14 through 16. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet 
Come on, I was thinking about getting some Gucci shoes to show you how beautiful my feet are, but I stuck with my Adidas today. It's cool. Um, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Stop. In this book of Romans, the people who are receiving this letter would totally understand the context of what Paul is writing. Here's what he's saying. The gospel, first of all, it's not even a Christian term. We hijacked it uh, from that time because that's what we do. Gangster, okay? So we took it and we said, now we're going to use it for the gospel. We're going to use it in the word and we're gonna, it's going to be used for Jesus. The gospel was actually a Roman term that would be used to declare a new Caesar. You come into a new town, good news, gospel, gospel news. Julius Caesar is now our new emperor. We have a new ruler. And with the new ruler would come new dreams of provision and freedom and promotion and all those things. Another thing that would be used for the gospel back then was if they were at war. They would send a runner because if you're Rome and you're fighting somebody and you lost the war, you would want to have a runner come say, hey, we lost. Everybody get out of here because they're going to kill us all. So during the war, people would be worried and stressed and all, all bent out of shape. And then the runner would come and say, good news. We defeated the Persians, the Babylonians, whoever you want to say. They, we defeated them. And the people would rejoice and they would have peace because they had won the battle. This is what the good news was used for. And so Paul is saying, oh, how beautiful are the feet that come to people and declare the good news of victory and a new leader. How beautiful the feet that people come to let them know about this man named Jesus that loves them and died on the cross for them. Here's why it's so important for you to uh, know the gospel and to hear the gospel and share the gospel. I was flying to Florence, Italy one time, and uh, from Paris, by the way, and uh, it was a little plane because it was a little flight, about an hour and 15 minutes, but... Uh, this may have happened last week. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm on a plane and uh, just had the best time in Paris. A, a great time. Uh, awesome. Get on a plane. And it's a little plane. I don't like little planes. My wife doesn't like flying. So, so I never was afraid of flying until I married my wife because you ever get somebody else's energy and it starts getting into your funk and you're like, get that energy off me, girl. But it can't because she's your wife and you love her. And so... So now when we fly, like when she gets a little stressed, I'm like, oh my gosh, are we, are we not okay? You're not, you don't know, maybe we're not okay. Um, and so this, this little plane we're on, we're starting to land, and it's not even that windy, but the plane, like, it feels like it's like sliding on something. And I'm like, what is that feeling? Like, I've never felt it before. And so because I've never felt it, I felt turbulence. Little drops are fine, but it was a new feeling. Like, whoa, I was like, what is that? I was like, it was like, you know, I was like, but it wasn't a dance. I'm in a plane, so it's not as cool, okay? So at the very end, we're about to land. I'm talking like, you're seeing the, like we're hundreds of feet, like we're close to the ground. The last second, the plane goes like this. And just takes back up into the, into the sky. And everybody is like this. No noise, we're all afraid. I've never experienced this on a plane. I've never experienced, you're about to land and the pilot at the last second pulls up and goes straight into the sky and you're like, well, that's not good. And so it's just quiet. And now, we, uh, we went to uh, Europe with Tom and Laura Glazier. Uh, oh, we love them. They're family to us. And Laura and Rachel kind of have a little fear of flying. Tom is sleeping, by the way, um, during this moment. And I'm awake, and so I'm trying to be the guy, so I'm just quiet. I'm like, I'm not even saying anything. But in my mind, as we pull up, I literally start thinking, well, this is how it ends. All right. All right. I'm going to die in, in Florence, Italy. I... Uh, Knew I should have gone this little plane. Uh, and I literally started just thinking, like, what happened? Nobody's telling us. The pilot doesn't say anything. Flight attendant's just sitting there. I can't even see her because usually I like to look at the flight attendant. If she's cool, I'm cool, but I can't tell if she's stressed. So then I'm even more stressed because I can't see her. I'm like, just somebody, what's happening? But again, I don't want to be the one like, what's going on? <laughs> you got to be cool. So I'm like, 
So then I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to die. And then, and, then, and then after you, but then I go to heroic. I'm like, I'm going to be heroic. All right, Lord, do you want me to unbuckle my buckle and say, all right, everybody, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. We're about to die, and I want you all to go to heaven with me. This is what I'm processing. We got about another two minutes. Okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to raise your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus. You're going to confess with your mouth. I was like, Lord, I'll do it. If, if I'm going to, Lord, give me the green light. If we're going to die, I'm ready to leave this whole plane to you, okay? And so I'm processing these things, processing this. And again, it's, you laugh because you weren't on the plane, okay? <laughs> I'm only 36, God. We just planted the church. I'm believing for revival. So then I start praying for angels to come grab the wings and all kinds of stuff. Okay, anyway, so, so anyways, um, finally the pilot speaks in French, which helped me out a lot. Merci, je t'aime, you know, whatever. I was like, I was like. And then finally they say it in English. They're like, oh, it was a technical error or is a you know, mechanical error. It's all better now. We're going to land. I was like, oh, okay, great to hear. Great to hear. So then we land the plane. And to be honest, it was the worst landing I ever had. It was like a landing. And uh, Google uh, the, the uh, runway in Florence, and it's the smallest runway in all of Italy. Top seven most dangerous runways. Didn't know this. That would have been great information before we got on the plane. Little itty bitty uh, um, uh, airline little thing, little, little runway. So then, you know, Tom's awake finally, and uh, slipped through all of it. And so we're waiting for our bags, and I'm like, what was that? What was that? And Tom's like, oh, yeah, they call that a fly around. I'm like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, I used to do it all the time. Tom used to fly, by the way. He's a renaissance man. He's one of the most interesting men in the world. But um, he's like, yeah, when I used to fly, you'd go down to the very bottom, and they would want you to train because if you maybe outshot the runway or if, you know, just something wasn't perfect, you would just pull right back up, and you just do a fly around. You do one more circle, and then you land the plane. He goes, yeah, I woke up when the plane got pulled up, and then I just went back to sleep. Good for you. Glad you could sleep during this while I'm making peace with God. I'm about to look like a weirdo. Jesus loves you. Let's pray. We land. Hey, guys, I kind of lost it there for a second. It's my bad. It's a little weird. But hey, 20 people got saved. I should have done it now when I think about it. I mean, a lot of people are like, I'm in, you know. Revival on Air France 27. Um, anyways. I rewind and I go back on the plane and I think about this. As we have the, if Tom would have been awake and he just would have said, hey, Laura, Rachel, and I would have just been like, oh, you don't got to talk to me. I'm fine. Talk to these girls. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I would listen. He's like, Laura, Rachel, this is called a fly around. Everything's going to be just fine. This is very normal and fine. That good news right there would have given us all peace. All of us would have been like, okay, okay. And then we would have landed. Here's what happens in a lot of people's lives. This is, why we need, uh, this is why we need the gospel. As we're living life and they hit turbulence and they look like they're about to actually hit their dreams and right when they think they're gonna get their dreams, the rug gets pulled out from under them and they fly away from their dreams and they do another fly around and they start to stress and they start to worry and they start to go, is there anything gonna happen? What, what about my life? I, I thought I met the one and then I didn't meet the one. I thought, I, and there's no such thing as the one by the way, but that's a whole different story for a different day. Um, but I, I, thought, I thought this was the job that God had for me and then he flew me around and then I, I thought this was, this was, my health was gonna be fine and then I got this new thing and I gotta circle around and, and take care of my health again because I got a terrible report from the doctor. All these things, if I'm being honest, let's just talk politics. When I, I had Republican friends, when Obama became president, they were like, oh my gosh, end of the world, we're gonna die, Armageddon, you know? I was like, 
relaxed, okay? And then now my, uh, my Democrat friends, because Trump is president, they're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die, Trump is president. I wanna tell both people, if you get stressed out about who president, the president is, or you're getting stressed out about your promotion, stressed out about your job, or stressed out about your health, here's the deal. You're scaring the kids. Stop it. Here's the deal. Jesus sits on the throne. That's good news. That's why you got to hear it. So, Trump's going to be president for eight years. Obama's president for eight years. We're, we're, again, do I, want, do I want to honor a president? Yes. I don't know what your political view is, but they do not dictate my future. Jesus dictates my future. They don't stop the kingdom of God from moving. This is, this is the answer to Jesus. When we put our faith in our promotions or politics, man, politics have become such an idol in our world because religion is so small in our world now. Because Jesus has gotten so small, everything else is getting so big. Got people weeping over Kevin Durant's injury. I was one of them, but whatever. Um, you got people stressed out about politics. You got people looking at the Dow market and, the, and all the finances because all those things have gotten so big because Jesus in our world has gotten so small. If you don't have the good news, you're going to cling on to some fake good news. My prayer is that we would be the people. We wouldn't sleep like Tom did. Is Tom in here? Okay. Yeah, he's sleeping. Probably sleeping in. Well played. Nice job, Shannon. But we would, we would be awake, and when something happens, we would reassure people, it's going to be okay. I know who holds the universe in his hands. It's going to be okay. Man, we need people who are willing to bring the good news, the beautiful feet, Oh, the beautiful people that would bring... Come on now, I think the church needs to get prettier. Uh, in a world, you turn the news, bad news. You turn the news on, bad news. You turn your phone on, bad news. You, you watch SportsCenter, bad news right now. Lakers are getting better, Warriors are getting worse. Bad news, I don't want to watch it. Just bad news, bad news. Man, the church needs to bring pretty beauty to the world because the gospel is beautiful. Bring good news to people this week. That's why we need it and that's why the world needs it. Let's go on to the last one. How does this impact us today? How does it impact our life? Romans 1.16, if you have your Bibles, turn it there. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The answer is, how does this impact our life? It impacts everything. You need to understand something. The gospel changes everything and everyone. It has that power. Sometimes I feel this pressure to use charisma to lead people to Jesus. But I remember in high school, we would have a piece of paper and we would draw a cliff and then a chasm and another cliff and then we would draw a cross and be like, Jesus died on a cross for you and now you get to walk over the cross and if you say yes, you get to walk over the cross and you get to come to heaven with me. And our friends would be like, I'm in. And we would actually lead people to Jesus with not a charismatic, not a very profound illustration, but because we were just sharing it, guess what took over? The power of the gospel. Not the charisma of the gospel because when the gospel is presented, there is power in it. You may not see it right away. You may not go, okay, I see it right now. But when you start to share the gospel message with people, there is power that goes into their heart and to their mind and makes them process, is there a God? Oh my gosh, I feel this tug on my heart. I want to say yes to this. Why do I want to say yes to this? Why do I want to come to church? Because the gospel has a power to bring people to God's house. There's power in the gospel. God reminded me of this in Rome recently. Again, another uh, travel illustration. Uh, I was at the Colosseum. Show that picture real quick, Colosseum. So I was in Rome, and I'm at this Colosseum, and for 300 years, over a million people died in that Colosseum. Over a million people, Christians were set on fire to light it up so people could watch battles. 
Slaves were sent in there to entertain, to die for people. So for 300 years in this city, not only was a million people being killed okay, it was celebrated. Average of 40,000 people would show up. Sat about 55 to 60,000, but the average 40,000 day after day for 300 years, over a million people were killed in that Coliseum. And I know the history of how it got shut down, but my tour guide, who's not a believer, I just asked her, I go, hey, so what happened to the Coliseum? I know, I just want to hear it though. She, she's like, oh, the Christians. I said, I said what, what do you mean the Christians? She goes, Christianity became big and it shut it down. Christianity became this movement in Rome where there would be plagues and everybody would be running out, but the Christians, Christians would be running into the plagues to take care of the people. The Christians loved God and they hated sin. And so the things that hurt people, the Christians did not associate with, as though therefore it shut down the Colosseum. I look at our culture and we don't have a Colosseum in the Bay Area, but I believe that there are figurative Colosseums that are going on today in the Bay Area that need to get shut down by Christianity. Things that are destroying young people and destroying marriages and destroying families. That millions of people are literally having death come into their life because the Christian movement has not come around yet to say this is not how we live our life. John Wesley says it best, and I want to read you it. It's a pretty powerful thing. I hope, hope you're okay with me saying it. He says, let me get it for you real quick. Here it is, yeah. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they are a clergyman or layman. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Stop. I believe when the gospel comes in your life, it's going to change you. It's going to change your appetite. It's going to change your priorities. Let's be honest. Our culture right now isn't just okay with sin. Our culture celebrates sin. I mean, they're loud about it. And they're going to be loud about their sin. I want to be loud about my Jesus. And they're going to be loud about their lifestyle. I want to be loud about the gospel. I want to be loud in my life. I want to be loud in my words and I just had this thought, and forgive me, this is kind of just, it's, it's raw, but I feel like I'm supposed to share it today. I, uh, I just got an Apple Watch yesterday to motivate me to get fit again. It's working. I worked out once so far. Um, one for one. You're welcome. Um, but I get it, and I put it on, and when, within the first 10 minutes, I'm just standing there talking to Rachel, and it pings. I'm like, what is it? And it says, congratulations, you stood, basically. I was like, oh, this, this thing's got a low bar. <laughs> I am standing. You're welcome, you know. And I was like, hold on a second. This thing celebrates if I stand. We have, what, what kind of culture am I in today? And again, I'm all, for, I'm all for celebrating. But I think what has happened in our culture is everything is being celebrated, so nobody really knows what the prize is anymore. If you're celebrating everything, where do you run? You celebrate promotions, you celebrate academics, you celebrate finances, you celebrate all these things, and those celebrations are just as loud as your celebrations for what Jesus did in your life. No wonder people are confused. You celebrate standing up with your eyes. It did make me feel good, by the way. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says this, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? Everybody, you're running somewhere right now. Everybody's running somewhere everybody's running, but there's only one where you don't get exhausted, and that's Jesus. He goes, don't you know in a race that everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, 
Are you running for things that will fade away? Are you living your life for things that will fade away at the end of your life? There are three categories of your day that you can live for. There's what we call the urgent. Just urgent things. I got to get this done, get this done, get this done. And so the urgent usually trumps the important. And the important things are things I believe that God's called you to live your life for. But above important, I want to use a different word, significant. Eternal significance. What happens in our culture is our culture lives little 20-year clips of culture and they teach you the most urgent thing in that culture and then we put urgent in front of the most significant things. Being a father, being a friend, being a follower of Jesus, having God be first in my life. These are all things that will not fade away, but culture tells us it's just not possible to actually live that way. You've got to live for the urgent. If you don't live for the urgent, you lose it. You lose the world. Good. Lose the world. Gain heaven. Goes on to say, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. R.C. Sproul says the best. We want to be saved from our misery, our stress, but not from our sin. We want to sin without misery, just as the prodigal son wanted inheritance without the father. The foremost spiritual law of the physical universe is that this hope can never be realized. Sin always accompanies misery. There is no victimless crime and all creation is subject to decay because of humanity's rebellion from God. Stop. If you want what Jesus has for your life, you got to start hating the things that God hates and start loving the things God loves. This is a massive thing to say to you. The scripture says that anyone who wants to save their life, they must lose their life. And I'm in a season of my own life right now. All I did on this trip was reflect, what do I need to get rid of and what do I need to add? What has culture made me feel like I'm supposed to do? So remember the houses I talked about? They're not houses, they're prisons. The house of prosperity, it's a performance. It's the prison of performance. When you start to build those houses, you think, oh, I'm building this amazing thing that culture told me, but you're not building a house, you're not building the American dream, you're building the American prison. Because the, the pressure of performance is simply this. Brene Brown says it best. There's three lies that we buy into when we feel the pressure of performance. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what people tell me who I am. And so you have to live to those three things. None of those are in the gospel. So it's not a gospel message. It's a culture message that builds a prison. And you keep building more prison cells in your own life thinking eventually I'm going to be okay. Stop living for performance. And stop living for yourself. And stop, stop processing like the world. You process like the world, you will taste the world. You process like heaven, you will taste heaven. The prison of the poverty gospel. I don't want to care what people think anymore. I told my wife this morning, just get a little honest, that I was going to have breakthrough, breakthrough this morning. The last two months, I've had like this stress and this like, even my stomach would be hurting because I wanted to perform on Sunday. I wanted to make sure that when people came for the first time that they'd be like, oh, it was good. It was good. And it's the, the worst prison a person can live in is performing for others. I'm not here to perform for anybody. I'm here to please the one. Surely, in Galatians, like it says, if I wanted to please people, I never would have became a servant. I want to please God. There is freedom in pleasing God. You can wear what you want, Come on now. You love the Lord? Wear Gucci. Do your thing. 
Do you love the Lord? Wear pajamas. Do your thing. I don't care. But I think we dress too much for people. I think we think too much about what people think. Instead of actually caring about the one, we take ourselves way too serious and not God serious enough. We take each other way too serious and God not serious enough. Man, I'm not going to live in that prison. The prison of religiosity, worried about the things you got to do for God, just enjoy God. That's the gospel message. He died. The whole premise is Jesus died on the cross so he could hang out with you now and then you could come to heaven and hang out with him forever. That's the gospel. Live in that freedom. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to close real quick. So what is the gospel? Why do we need it? How does it impact our life? The gospel brings freedom. The gospel brings power in our life. That's how it impacts life. It changes everything. If it can change Rome, the most powerful nation in all the world, it surely can change your life and change my life. If it can shut down the, the most powerful entertainment thing in the center of Rome, it sure can shut down the spirit of man in the Bay Area. This is the power of the gospel. I, wanna, I don't want to unleash the law on this region. I don't want to unleash preference on this region. I want to unleash the gospel on this region. I want to unleash the good news to people in this region. This is, this is the desire of God's heart for his church. But now what? Now what? what are we, after hearing a message like this, now what? What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? And it can feel really like intimidating. Like, what am I supposed to do now? I love what David Platt said. He writes a very simple um, thought on this. He, and he goes on to say, if we were left to ourselves with the task of taking the gospel to the world, we would immediately begin planning innovative strategies and plotting elaborate schemes. We would organize conventions and develop programs and create foundations. But Jesus is so different from us. With the task of taking the gospel to the world, he wandered through the streets and the byways. All he wanted was a few people who would think as he did, love as he did, see as he did, teach as he did, and serve as he did. All he needed was a few to revolutionize the hearts of a few, and they would impact the world. Just walk the streets and be ready to share the gospel. Just live your life and be ready to share the good news. U.S. Open is going on right now in Tiger Woods. I love Tiger Woods. and keep it real. There is something beautiful about when somebody gives their life to something. It's just, it is. It's just, there's something like impressive about it. I've been to some golf tournaments, and watching a PGA player hit a iron or a driver, it's just, it's beautiful. There's something beautiful about Michael Jordan when he was playing hoops in his prime, dunking from the free throw line. It was just, Try to get a Michael Jordan poster in our bedroom when we first got married. The wife said no. Long story. Very upset about it. Anyways, there's something beautiful about Whitney Houston and her voice. Oh, I think one of the greatest voices, not the greatest voice ever. Her and Selena are like my jams, okay? They just got voices like no other. Something beautiful about somebody who's given themselves to their gift. I hope this illustration makes sense. I, I believe it's going to. It would be sad to me. Don't judge me. It would be sad to me that Tiger Woods never would have played golf. It would be sad to me. I would watch golf, and I wouldn't even know what I missed out on. Because I'm a golf fan. I like watching golf. I'm like, oh, man, like, it would be sad if Tiger Woods maybe would have hit a few iron shots, and they would have, you know, went right or left. And he's like, oh, this is too hard. I'm going to go do something else. As a sports fan, I would have missed out on watching the greatest golfer of my era live and watch him do things that I never thought anybody could do on the golf course. It'd be sad to me, if I'm just being honest, if Michael Jordan, after he didn't make the varsity team his freshman year, if he would have quit basketball. I quit. I didn't make varsity. I'm done. I'm going to go into business. 
It would be sad to me. I wouldn't have all my childhood memories of watching Michael dunk on guys' heads and sticking his tongue out. I stuck my tongue out too, bit it three times, and I had to stop. But, but he would stick his tongue out. You're like, oh, it's about to go down. Michael's tongue's out. He's about to dunk on somebody. John Starks, Patrick Hewen, I don't care. It was beautiful to me. I loved watching Michael Jordan be Michael Jordan. But it would be a travesty in sports if Michael Jordan would have not made the varsity and left. If Whitney would have maybe sang in front of some people and people told her she wasn't very good, so she just walked away from it. That'd be sad to me. But it would be tragic. It would be tragic to me that some of the greatest evangelists that this world has ever seen are in the room right now. But because the enemy is trying to silence you, because you don't think you're charismatic enough, you don't think you have the the right stuff to share the gospel, some of the greatest evangelists have been sitting on the sidelines and nobody's been able to experience their beauty because they've never spoken up and never lived the life God called them to live. Man, I, I want us to be a church that equips and empowers and releases disciples to go bring the good news to a place that needs it desperately. All you have to do in this next season of your life for the good news as we do the series is just tell people about Jesus and then let him do the, the rest. Second Chronicles 20, I love, the, love, love what God says. For the battle is not yours, it's mine. You don't got a battle to get them saved. Like, you're not leaving my car until you say yes to Jesus. Door's locked. You said yes, okay, you can get out now. You're welcome. Tyler, I led four people to Jesus, but I'm going to prison. You're welcome. <laughs> not cool, man. Not cool. Let Jesus do what he does. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. How will they know if nobody brings it? We're going to bring it to this region. We're going to bring truth. We're going to bring love. You're going to tell people about Jesus for the first time this week, and it may go terribly. Like, we're talking like the worst case scenario. Do it again. And do it again and do it again. Do not let a little setback stop you from being the greatest evangelist God called you to be. Will you bow your heads with me?